nice it is to get away uh, once a year like this. Uh, forget about everything uh, that you left behind uh, in Toronto. Uh, your work, your worries and anxieties, at least for two days. Let us not really worry about uh, what's ahead of us. And it's, uh, let us focus on the present moment and enjoy uh, the fellowship here. And then just be soaked uh, by the presence of love of brothers and sisters and also by the presence of God's awesome presence. I hope that we can be all soaked. Uh, I mean, even though it is uh, one or two days, sometimes it is great. Uh, if we are, we are focused, then uh, we can be uh, really soaked uh, by the presence of God. And spend some time with your family, uh, with your friends, and with your children. But also uh, have some time uh, alone, uh, walking around and think about in this beautiful uh, nature. Especially this year's theme is knowing God. Uh, it's a very important topic and uh, some, there, there are a lot of uh, things that you can uh, reflect on. I hope that uh, we have great time uh, together singing, talking, uh, having discussion and playing sports and, uh, and all that. And all the uh, group leaders, uh, the questions that you receive, uh, uh, they are not mandatory questions for you to have to answer. Uh, those are discussion starters. So as you listen to the lecture, I hope that uh, you can also uh, come up with your own questions. Uh, jot down uh, whatever triggers uh, you, and instead of just following, okay, number one, uh, answer, number two, answer, instead of doing that, just uh, have, uh, just get the discussion going, so while you're listening to the lecture, you can uh, take out some of the uh, insight and some of the things that uh, you, uh, I mean, so some of the things that interest you, and then I want you to uh, write down those, and then uh, discuss with your group. Knowing uh, God is a, a big topic, and a difficult topic, in a way. How do we know God, whom we cannot see, touch, or analyze uh, before? Can I, can you lift the... Little bit higher? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah, that's good. Thank you. It's kind of a, a difficult topic. Uh, what does it mean to uh, know God? And what happens uh, when you know God? And is there a process in knowing God? Uh, these are some of the questions uh, that we are going to uh, deal with at this retreat. But not only these questions, but uh, a lot of other things that we are going to deal with too. And don't think too much about how do we know God? Methodology of how we know God. I don't think I can give you methodology. I don't think I can give you answer for that. How you know God? Uh, I don't think, uh, I cannot do magic here uh, so that after this uh, uh, retreat, now you know God. Uh, I want you to, uh, instead of thinking about methodology of how, I want you to think about your own assumptions about God. Uh, some of the assumptions that you did not even question yourself. And you just adopt it. And you don't even know where you got that idea about God. Maybe from Sunday school, or from your parents, or from society. This is, this is what people say about God. So unchallenged assumptions you may have. And also, you may have some language. And language is great to articulate what we feel and when we, or what we experience and what we know, it is great. The language is good, but sometimes language can limit you. Because you're, you're locked up in a certain language. For example, so that's a word, salvation, then you are locked up. Certain image is already uh, there and you cannot go beyond that uh, salvation. The, the image that you have or understanding you have about salvation. And so language can limit your uh, understanding. Language can limit 
uh, your uh, perception and your image. So I want you to free up your image. I, want, I, I don't want you to be locked up in the language. I want you to be freed up uh, from all that so you understand, okay, then even about salvation, you have new understanding of salvation. New understanding of God. So uh, I hope that these languages and these assumptions, I want you to this time think about who is really God to me. Certain perception and image that you are locked up into, I want you to free that up so that you may experience the reality of God in a real, tangible, somehow, uh, way. Knowing God or our understanding of God is very important because depending on your understanding of God, your relationship with God will be determined. If your idea of God is a very strict, authoritarian God, your relationship with God will be a very formal and courteous relationship. Uh, we may sing a song, as in here, uh, pass through the water and all that. Uh, the second verse is, uh, uh, you are my friend and you are my brother, uh, even though you are a king. And I once shared uh, with the KSM uh, group uh, that God is our friend. Jesus is our friend. And one lady came up to me and said, I can never understand that. I can never understand that God can be a friend or Jesus can be a friend. Uh, Jesus is always up there and uh, only a powerful person, but I can never see uh, Jesus as a friend. So, some people just have a hard time understanding God in that way. That their relationship with God uh, will be determined. For example, another woman uh, came to me. I cannot relate to the Father image of God. The last song is a beautiful song, but it's a good, good father. Only if they could put good, good mother, then they would be perfect. <laughs> For me, father, I mean, my father, I love my father, and my father loved me, but we didn't really have a relationship. First of all, my father passed away when I was young, 17 years old, and until then, my father was somebody so far, so high, I cannot go near him. So we never had a discussion. So when, when we say that my God is my father, uh, it doesn't really ring true to me. My mother uh, has been always with me, very intimate relationship we had, and the kind of love she showed. So uh, when, when I say my, my God is my, like my mother, then it, it rings uh, uh, more true uh, to me. So depending on what image that you have about God, your relationship uh, with God will be determined. And also your life will be affected by your understanding of God. Knowledge of God affects you and your life. You all have certain ideas of God and these ideas shape your worldview, your morality, and your lifestyle, consciously or unconsciously. Sometimes, oh, God is like this, so I have to behave like this. Some, some people do that uh, more consciously. Maybe religious people do that. Always think about God, what God, uh, what, uh, what would God think? What is it? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? WJD. Right? Yeah. yeah. WWJT. <laughs> what would Jesus do? So some religious people will always think about WWJT. What would Jesus think? So they are more consciously and explicitly think about God and do it. But a lot of other people also unconsciously or implicitly think about God uh, in the back of their minds. And then that uh, kind of shapes your worldview, your morality, and your lifestyle. So, 
depending on your understanding of God, some people may live with tremendous, uh, live with tremendous guilt and pressure. So knowledge of God is very much related to our life, and so it is important. And knowing God is not just cerebral exercise, exercise of the brain, but knowing God is something to do with your whole existence. Knowing God is intertwined intimately with what I experience daily. So knowing God, whether you can define or articulate, okay, this is my understanding of God. Even if you don't have it, still is very much interrelated to your personal uh, daily life. Right? You, got, you understand? Okay, good. Let us all rise. We just ate it. <laughs> I don't want you, uh, you to doze off. So, so exercise a little bit, stretch a little bit. Okay, enough. <laughs> you don't do the whole exercise. <laughs> okay, this is what Hosea said. Come, you know, our uh, PowerPoint is much better at church. So you don't see a red letter uh, very well, right? Come, let us return to the Lord. For it is he who has torn and he will heal us. He has struck down and he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His appearing is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the showers, like the spring rains that water the earth. Beautiful poem, right? Beautiful poem. Uh, beautiful passage. But when you look at this passage, uh, I kind of put it a uh, red letter. Uh, Torn, heal, struck down, bind us up, revive us, raise us up. What, is, what you can uh, see from this passage is that God is very much involved in our lives, very intimately. God is not God up there somewhere. God is not just concept. God is the living being who is very much intertwined with our living. God will tear us and God will strike us down. But God will also heal us and God will, God will bind us up. Now look at the language. It's very much our daily living. God is right there with us. Things that happen in our lives, they do not just happen. God is behind it. God is with us. God is within us. And God is among us. And Hosea saw that. Oh, this is what God is doing. God is striking them down, but also God is raising them up. And God is healing them. And Hosea saw vividly, graphically, what God does to his people. So Hosea's conclusion is, let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. You know, St. Paul, uh, St. Paul's religious experience, right? On the road to Damascus, he had a divine encounter. He was on the way to persecute Christians. He was pretty sure what he was doing was right. And he thought he did it for God. And a very strong light came down upon him, and he fell from the horse. And he heard the voice, and the voice said, he was Jesus, whose followers 
Paul persecuted. It was a supernatural experience. Not many of us have that kind of fantastic experience. But what amazes me about St. Paul's experience is not that it was supernatural. What amazes me about Paul's experience is after his supernatural experience, what happened to him after that supernatural experience? It totally turned him around. See, before that experience, Paul used to live comfortably with a well-defined understanding of God. He probably would say, I know God. I know God what God wants, and this is what I want to do, and this is why I'm doing this. So persecuting Christians was because he believed in God because he knew that that was God's will. He was very clear and comfortable with his own well-defined understanding of God. But his unchallenged knowledge of God was seriously challenged through his experience. And he got totally confused. I thought that was God. But now I know that was not God. He was totally confused, disillusioned. And from then on, he started a real search for the God whom he truly believed. What is the God and who is the God whom I truly believe deep in my heart. Not the God whom he adopted from his tradition, religion, and upbringing. The God I took automatically, not that, not that kind of God I want. I want God who really matters to me. He wanted to find God for whom he would give his life for. Not just theoretical God who would have had no effect on his life. He was searching for God for whom he would sacrifice his life for. And he did. Since then, he devoted his life to searching for the understanding of God. From that experience, he started searching for God who really matters, mattered to him. And in the journey, in the process of searching for God, he got tremendous insights. Tremendous insight, not only about God, but also about himself, about faith, and about life. Knowing God is tremendous. He shared all his insights about God he found in his letters. You know, when I uh, read Paul's letters and his messages, I felt like I was looking at, he was like looking at the x-ray of our body or glomscopy of our body, just going through, oh, this is what is going on. Oh, food goes down, and it goes into the uh, stomach, and then from there it goes down there. Oh, it's like whole dynamics of 
inside. Like about life, about spiritual life, about inner life. He had a clear and then sharp insight about life. He found his own authentic God. When you find your authentic God, your life will be affected significantly by that God. I want to call that authentic God living God. That authentic God is living God. Through, through his experience on the road to Damascus, he became free, finally, from his prejudice and from his uncritically accepted assumptions about God. With that liberated state of mind, he started interacting with the living God. And from that interaction, he got the living knowledge about life, about faith, about salvation, and about God. That was where he got all his insights about himself, life, and God. You know, the living God, this living God, is very unique to each person. The living God that appears to you may not be generally agreed doctrine or dogma about God. Paul had so much trouble because of the living God he found. When he had God of doctrine, God of dogma, he had no problem. He could live comfortably. <clears throat> but when he found the living God and when he lived out the living God, he had so much trouble. He discarded the well-defined doctrine, such as circumcision, and his attitude towards Gentiles, and about food, and all that stuff. That was a well-established understanding of God. But he started throwing that away as he found the living God. And he went into so much trouble. The living God is very personal and unique to you. The living God that is revealed to me may be, the, may be different from the living God that is revealed, revealed to Simon. And different from uh, to uh, from God who's revealed to Enoch. Living God is very unique and personal. When you read Genesis, you encounter this passage a lot. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. It didn't say God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because God of Abraham is different from God of Isaac. It's different from God of Jacob. Their experience is different. Abraham's life was very different from Jacob's life. And God is revealed to Abraham is very different from God who is revealed to Jacob. Of course, it's not different God, but different revelation to different people. Because their experience is different. God wants us to know the living God. Because only that knowledge will truly affect us. All other concepts of God will have no effect on us. You will not give your life for, you will not sacrifice your life for, for that concept. Don't live with the concept of God. Live with the living God. Concept is very easy 
to live with. But truly having the living God is very difficult. What kind of God is God who has no effect on you? Is there God? If God has no effect on you, then what kind of God is that? If God is that God is a God that you not sacrifice anything for, what kind of God is that? That is concept of God, not the living God. And many people live with concept of God, and they're comfortable with the concept of God. They just like to have nominal God for their own security and comfort. Only when we get to know the living God, that God becomes true God to us. General understanding of God is merely constant. What God wants from us is to know the living God because that will make our life so much more abundant and enjoyable. Living, living God is dynamic, not steady. Concept of God is steady, but living God is dynamic. It's not steady. God himself or herself is in dynamic movement within, self, within oneself. God is in dynamic movement. God is not a static concept. God is a dynamic living being. Listen to the psalmist's confession. As a deer longs for flowing streams, my soul, my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. He's not satisfied with the concept of God. His soul thirsts for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, where is your God? His soul thirsted for the living God. And he was challenged by people, where is your God? And we should ask ourselves, where is your God? Where is your God? Not somebody else's God. Not your parents' God, not your friends' God, but where is your God? That is something that we have to ask ourselves. We need to encounter the living God. Nicodemus, he came to Jesus one day, and Jesus said, you want to enter, the, uh, enter into the uh, kingdom of God? You have to be born again. And he said, you hear the wind, but you don't know where it's coming from and where it's going to. Like in a mystery, uncertainty. But one thing clear in that passage is that there is a movement. Dynamic God working in your life. That's what it means to be born again. There is a movement. You don't know where it's coming from and where it's going to, but there is a movement. Jesus introduced that kind of dynamic God, living God. Knowing God is not about gathering information about God. then ministers or theologians should know God the best. Do we? No. We don't know as much as you do. We know about God. 
depend on how much information you have about God. And the Bruno said, or oh, the, the, I can't even remember names of his theologians. <laughs> you know, oh, then, you know. <laughs> they said, who cares? Because knowing God is not about information, it's not about knowing about God. Knowing God is different. Knowing God is not about information, knowing God is about transformation. It's not a cerebral exercise. It's not what's, what's happening in your brain. It is what's happening in your whole being. Not just the information you gather, you get transformation as you get to know God. As you try to get to know God, new movement begins with us. Somehow before, nothing moves, stay the same. But as you get to know God, somehow in your life, there's a movement. Something is moving in your heart, in your, in your thinking, in your emotion, in your life, everything. You start moving as you get to know God. When you have the concept of God, you stay the same. Always the same. You're just going for settlement, security. But as you get to the living God, as you get to know the living God, the movement begins. That's how the journey begins. Our whole self starts moving towards the truth to God. The problem is, only thing that we have is concept of God. That's why there is no movement, no change, no transformation. Just a lot of doctrines within your brain. And with your stubborn will, you claim your doctrine. That's all you do. As you get to know the living God journey begins. Life that used to try to establish settlement now starts the journey. You believe in God for your settlement? That's not Christian God. Maybe fine in some other religion. Christian God is not about settlement. Knowing God is like taking on the journey of knowing God. The first person who introduced Judeo-Christian God, who is that? The first person who introduced Judeo-Christian God, Abraham. Abraham was the first person who uh, introduced Judeo-Christian God. And he was I'm a worshiper. He was living in war. War? 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 War. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he lived very comfortably serving animals, like many of us in North American society. And I'll show you the scripture before that. Don't you have the scripture? Yeah. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your ancestor Terah and his sons Abram and Nahor lived beyond Euphrates and served other gods, like the idols, for their settlement. And God called his family, you go to the promised land. And then they said, yes, we'll go. So they threw away uh, idols and they started the journey. What happened? They got temptation. They got settled in Haran. So they lived in Haran for many years. And God called them again. No, not Haran. Go further to the promised land, to Canaan. So I wrote this. Or to Haran is settled. 
Maybe this God will give us better settlement, better security, better life. So they stayed in Haran, but God told them from Haran, he moved to Canada. Journey. God called Abraham out of settlement and pushed him into journey. This journey was not the journey to live a better life. This journey was a journey to know God. If your life is a journey, then that journey is a journey of searching for the true living God. The living God Paul found. The living God Abraham found. And the living God Jesus introduced. Jesus prayed in this way. Very interesting prayer. His last prayer before he died. And this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's why I like John, Gospel John. That's why I taught seven times in this, uh, in this church. I did seven times the, the study of the Gospel of John. His understanding of eternal life is very unique. His understanding of eternal life is knowing God. That's what eternal life is. Eternal life is not just you go to heaven after you die. Eternal life is knowing God. So our journey of knowing God is our journey of eternal life. Eternal life is a quality of life, not the uh, quantity, the length of life. It is a quality of life. The kind of quality you want to live eternally. That is what eternal life is. So knowing God is key to eternal life. That's why St. Paul said, knowing Christ is a surpassing value of all things he did and he was. Before he didn't do that. Now, knowing Christ, knowing God is the only thing that is most valuable. And this is what he said. These the things he did and what he was. These I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and regard, I regard them as rubbish. I call them real God. I call them living God. He was able to regard everything else rubbish because he found most precious thing. And that is Jesus Christ. That is God. That is the living God. That concept of and he lived it. Without knowing God, we perish. That's what Hosea said. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. You know, when I look at St. Paul's life, his life opened up you know, there is a life that is opened up and there is a life that is not opened up yet. When I look at Paul's life, his life opened up. When he truly get to know the living God, his life opened up. Not God of the law, not nominal God, not God of the custom or culture, but the living God that opens up our life. The door of the mystery of life opens up when you get to know the living God. As we get to know the living God, meaning, purpose, direction, passion, abundance, hopefulness, joy, aliveness, thankfulness, all these things become characteristic of your life. What more do you ask for? What more do you ask for? You know, I think about when do people's life 
open up. Like for example, Paul just laid out all these prejudices and, and he started getting to know her. And I was thinking about Katie. She probably think that I don't have much time left on this earth. I'm gonna go soon. I think she feels that. She senses that. The cancer has spread all over her body. But when that happens, different door opens up. I think her thinking right now is very different from our thinking. The kind of things that she reflects on will be very different from the kind of things that we reflect on. Sometimes, when life tragedy hits us, the door that did not open before opens up. And you see different things through that open door. You know, what we do on the surface is very similar. We work and come tired. You eat. You watch movies, dramas, and you take care of your young children. And sometimes we can we relax and do things that we enjoy, sports, movies, music. What determines the quality of life is not what you do on the surface. It is what you feel and experience inside in every moment of your life. Real happiness is not what you do on the outside. Real happiness is the quality of how you feel inside every moment. When I'm happy inside, whatever I do, I enjoy it. Whatever I eat, I enjoy it. My problems is when I'm not happy, I enjoy what I eat. <laughs> but when I'm not happy inside, whatever I do, I don't find it enjoyable. When you're enlightened, everything comes alive. When you're saddened, when you have problems, when you're not happy inside, even though you look beautiful, a lake and a pond outside, you see it, he saddens you more rather than saying, oh, how beautiful that is. This is what St. Paul said in his letter to Ephesians. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called to you, called you, what are the riches of his glories, the glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. When you look at this passage, it, there's a process. First, you come to know him. And the Father of, uh, Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And then you will come to know Him. And then your eyes of the heart be enlightened. In other words, open. Then when, you, when it is open, you'll be able to see riches and uh, hope and riches and immeasurable greatness of His power. All these things. This is process. So I put down in this way. Did I put down or not? Red color, yeah. Red color. Yeah. Can you see red color? Yeah, you come to yeah. know. Yeah. It's hard to see, right? But you have good eyes, right? As you get to my age, you don't see that. Is there another slide after that? Okay. So processes, you know about Eyes of your heart enlightened, you know hope, 
abundance of life and power of life. All eternal poverty. All eternal poverty. It's not what you understand outside. It's what's happening inside. See, there are two. Let's say uh, we have arbors here, uh, Bruce. Uh, but two trees that you see, you look at two trees, you, you, they look same when you uh, uh, first see it. But if there's a water going up and down and up and down, there's, there's a dynamic movement, that tree will uh, bloom and have uh, uh, leaves and even flowers and all that. The dead tree, as the time goes by, it will decay, deteriorate, ultimately it will die. Two trees on the outside, it looks the same. But in integrity, inside, is very different. What? determines our fate, our destiny. It's not what's on the outside, it's what's inside. You know, you want to know how powerful Paul's inner life was? Even in prison, he was happy and told Philippians to rejoice always. In the circumstances where we may feel totally Miserable, he was happy and advised others to be happy. How is it possible? Because his inner self was strong. He did not depend on his outer circumstances. His inner life was so strong that his external circumstances could not take away the power of life he enjoyed. I think it's got to do with his knowledge of God. As we really got to know God, his external life did not necessarily get better. As I said, if you want settlement, the Christian God may not be God for you. Because Paul's life after getting to know the living God, his life became very difficult. It wasn't easier. It got more difficult. His situation became worse. Persecution, imprisonment, hardships. You want to see that? Are they ministers of Christ? He's telling other people other disciples. Are they ministers of Christ? I am talking like a madman. I'm a better one. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless floggings, and often near death. Five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with uh, rods. Once I received a stony. Three times I was shipwrecked. For night and the day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked, and besides other things, I am under daily pressure because of my anxiety for all churches. Think about it. How difficult his life was. But his inner life so strongly intact. This is what he said. For I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little. And I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well fed and of going hungry, of having plenty, and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the confidence. That's the power. That's the kind of life I envy. I want to follow. What a strong life. What a cool life. That is the kind of life I want to live. That happens only inside. 
And as you get to know about that inside, becomes strong. So truly knowing the living God can do wonderful things to us. But my friends, it is difficult to truly know the living God. Why? Knowing God is like oxymoron. God is by definition unknowable. So, knowing the unknowable is oxymoron. You don't have that before? Right before. Sorry. <laughs> I thought I put it in. Knowing the unknowable is oxymoron. God cannot be contained within our knowledge. Too big to know. God is ineffable. You know, the, about two, two, three months ago, I had so much knows believing. It's not because I worked harder than before. I couldn't understand. Every morning, oh, I had knows believing. So I was concerned, you know, what's going on here? So maybe uh, we, we moved into the condo, maybe the condo is a little too dry. So I bought a uh, humidifier. I, I think it got a little better one, one night, but next day it started bleeding again, nosebleed. And I couldn't answer. What is a problem? And then I finally got the answer. Thing is, about a week before, I wanted to clean my nose so thoroughly. <laughs> During shower, I just cleaned every single thing. I don't know how long I did it. Just nose cleaning. Click, uh, cleaning. And I must have damaged the left nose. Because only it comes out through the left nose, not right nose. And then later, I found it. You need to leave something there. <laughs> you cannot clean them perfectly, right? So, uh, so I bought Sikaris. Uh, it's a kind of nose thingy. And it, 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 it cream. So I put, put it on. Next, uh, two days later, I was fine. I never nose it up there. I mean, it was a mystery to me. But there's always reason, right? There's always reason. Logic behind it. Last year, September 14th, legal uh, LIGO observatory discovered the evidence that proves Einstein's gravitational uh, wave. 1.4 billion years ago, two black holes collided with each other and merged, and the rest of the mass created gravitational wave. The observatory waited and waited and picked up that signal. And then they picked up another signal after that. So they will, uh, they did uh, prove that Einstein was right. I mean, Einstein was amazing, wasn't he? He was amazing. And these scientists, I think they are amazing. How did they find that? What happened 1.4 billion ago? A billion years ago? They are amazing. But still, all they did was to only discover the rules that govern the universe, the rule that govern my body. But there is no rule that governs the movement of God. God is beyond every rule. God made the rules and laws, but God is not bound to those rules and laws. There's nothing in the world that binds God. God is completely free. God is completely free to love us. God is beyond everything. So Muslims confess this way, Allahu Akbar. God is greater. God is always greater. God is greater than the greatest thought, greatest thought 
you may have. And in our gospel writer, John expressed it differently, but same thing. No one has ever seen God beyond our visibility, beyond what we can understand. When we say we know something very well, we can say we have mastered it. But we can never master God. We can never be experts on God. I think Thomas Merton's prayer was the honest prayer when he said, Your brightness is my darkness. I know nothing of you. And by myself, I cannot even imagine how to go about knowing you. If I imagine you, I'm mistaken. If I understand you, I'm deluded. If I'm conscious and certain I know you, I'm crazy. The darkness is enough. What an honest statement. <laughs> That's who our God is like. Thomas Morton's most famous prayer is this. My Lord, I have no idea where I'm born. St. Augustine said, if you have understood, it is not God. God is enveloped in mystery. So knowing God is like knowing the mystery. In your journey of knowing God, you will encounter the hidden God and revealed God. It's like hide and seek. The grandchild of Rabbi Baruch, very famous rabbi, his grandchild was playing the hide and seek with another boy. He hid himself and stayed in his hiding place for a long time, assuming that his friend would look for him. Finally, he went out and saw that his friend was gone, apparently not having looked for him at all, and that his own hiding had been in vain. He ran into the study of his grandfather, crying and complaining about his friend. Upon hearing the story, Rabbi Baruch broke into tears and said, God too says, I hide, but there is no one to look for me. God hides, but there is no one to look for me. Sometimes we don't know when God reveals himself and when God hides himself. In our journey, we'll encounter both hiding God, revealing God. When God hides, I hope that we don't become the ones who are gone and not looking for God. I share some of the thoughts about knowing God. I hope that some of your assumptions about God or some of your concept of God, if they have no effect on you, they're useless. They're merely concepts. They're just merely nice ideas. I hope that we, maybe in a small way, they encounter the living God in every day of our lives. And throughout this retreat, I hope that you may encounter that living God. And think about your own assumptions. Think about your own concepts of God. Tomorrow I'm going to talk about 
little bit more about that how do we go about getting to know God. It's not methodology, but some ideas about that. Thank you.